Family meeting at 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. And we're alone again. <laughs> Just the two of us. That's right. Just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. And by it, we mean this podcast. Yes. Tom is ill, by the way. A little bit, yes. In case he sounds a little snuffly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is why. Mm-hmm. So just, like, know that. Yeah. Sorry if it, you know, psychosomatically or whatever makes anybody else feel ill. I apologize. <laughs> You're so considerate. I am. All right. Well, let's dive into this. Let's do it. So you can return to convalescing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nick Cave is back. All right. I'm glad. Yeah, me too. I'm very glad. Uh, he's key to the whole thing, yeah, really. Yeah, he's really... He sets the tone. Yeah. Uh, we see a grave for a Harold Hancocks. Right. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. A woman then hangs a gun belt on the grave and another woman comforts her. And I'm like, oh, it's Dig Bev Kid's family. Yeah. I totally forgot that happened. Yeah. It sucks when somebody dies so young that they don't have any non-dipshit interests yet. Yeah, it is embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, we see Killian walking up to these women. The second woman approaches Killian and whacks him a bunch. Yeah. Which, you know, fair. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, this is part of like, this is part of like when you sign up for the Peaky Blinders. They're like, <laughs> uh, are you willing to be whacked by strange women every now and again? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first woman approaches him, uh, a bit more diplomatically <laughs> and he hands her her payout and they both walk away. Yeah. So it's not clear to me one of these women is his mother. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the other one was his grandmother or, you know, an aunt. His mother's agent. Like, I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm to understand you've been victimized by the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> I've been assigned by the county. <laughs> I see Killian climbing some stairs and he sees Sam Neill standing at the end of a long hallway. Sam Neill says Killian might find this an odd place for him to suggest a meeting. Uh, it's a fairly nondescript place, but... This is an odd place <laughs> for me to suggest a meeting. Yeah, I mean, I guess he usually prefers deserted churches or crowded museums, but here we are. You know, you uh, you work with what you've been given. <laughs> yeah. He says the surprises have only just begun and opens the door to reveal those two Irish people who forced Killian to kill Eamon Duggan. Worst surprise ever. Yeah. I was saying that in my own voice, but I started <laughs> to dip into Sam Neill territory. Yeah, you kind of did there. Worst surprise <laughs> ever. No, I expect, you know, it was like an odd place Master for... Master Shelby. <laughs> Sam plays to be like, you might find this an odd place for me to suggest a meeting. And I wanted to kill him to be like, I don't know. You're a weird dude. He is a weird dude. <laughs> like, I don't put anything past you, you creepy weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neill says that Killian looks a little unsteady, which by his standards, he kind of does. I don't think we've ever seen him this taken aback. Yeah. And honestly, I find it slightly weird that it never occurred to him. But I guess he knows how much Sam Neill hates the Fenians. Yeah. So... And vice versa. Actually, question for our Irish listeners. Is Fenian still a slur? That's a good question. In the UK? Uh, Let us know. Yeah. Drop us a line. Uh, We're at... Family Meeting PB on Twitter, or you can email us up yours downstairs at gmail.com. We know it's confusing, <laughs> but it's just what we're working with right now. Yeah. Like, we already have so many Gmail addresses. Like, we just I've can't. I've got like 10. Yeah. And it's a bit much. <laughs> right. 
Zekillion confirms that Sam Neill's working with the Fenians. He says that he thought that they had a policy not to mix the personal with the political and is shocked that they are reporting to an agent of the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, it, it gets great here because Sam Neill is trying to regain control of things. And I want to say, just for this whole episode, and like, this is a great episode. It is, yeah. This is perhaps the best episode of this show to date, mm-hmm. I want to say. Well, it has a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's got the Peaky Blinders busting heads. It's got sex. It's got a lot of, you know, very complicated, convoluted political things happening both here and on the gang front. Right. Uh, it's really dense. Yeah. So forgive our inability to accurately recap the <laughs> awesomeness of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Because Sam Neill's trying to get control, but Killian is basically just ignoring him and kind of going at the uh the ira people to, you know asking like uh you know who are they answering to him who's really in charge uh-huh. all this sort of thing the man donald calls killian an arrogant bastard and killian says that he's not accustomed to being spoken to like that oh my god and the look he gives him yeah you know and he like he like because he's looking at the woman when donald says that and he just turns and uh-huh. like no, I mean, wow. Yeah. Like, he'll be a hell of a parent <laughs> yeah. if he ever chooses to procreate. <laughs> yeah. So then Killian says that he's there to listen, but not to the fucking infantry. And then he goes after Irene, pointing that it's ridiculous of her working for the king. Uh, but apparently, you know, she is, I guess, a pro-treaty Republican. Mm-hmm. Sam Neill continues to attempt to set the agenda. He's like a bad substitute teacher. He in this really scene. is. <laughs> Who misplaced the seating chart? <laughs> Your name's not Butts McGee. <laughs> <laughs> now watch this video of Monty Python and the Holy Grail while I slowly get drunk. Well, then correction, a great substitute teacher. <laughs> They didn't have movies then, Tom. Well, I mean, not good ones. Yeah. All they had was Dig the Thick Kid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Who wasn't even in a movie. <laughs> or wait, no, Dig the Kid was. No. No, Dig the Kid. And then he said he was Dig the Kid. I don't... Let You know, he's dead. Let's yeah. not keep talking about <laughs> Let's, this. That's a good point. Sam Neill says that none of them wants to be there, that they all hate each other, but Killian interrupts and says that so obviously the pro-treaty patties and the king want the same man dead. Sam Neill hands Killian a file. Uh, Killian looks at it and is, you know, troubled. We don't see who it is, but he asks why this particular person. And Irene wants to know if he asked why in France, and he immediately says yes. Guys, my boner for Killian has never been more at attention. Like, oh my god. No, I mean, this is where you see the good, the good that is in Tommy Shelby, uh-huh, essentially. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's our protagonist. We all right. have a certain amount of empathy for him. But you see the fact that all of this stuff that he's doing, you know, there's a little bit of like Robin Hood in him, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. both in France in terms of being like, why are we going to go risk our lives to do X? Mm-hmm. And then here, I mean, part of the reason I think he wants to be legitimate is that so he can employ more people. I mean, you know, obviously yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a huge amount of self-interest involved here. Right. Sure. But he wants to stick it to the man. And he wants things to be done for reasons that make sense. Yes. You know. Which is a good summation of capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Not always, but I think, you know, at an Adam Smith level. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Sam Neill tells Killian that the answer is the same as it was in France. B, 
because Killian wants to know why they've chosen him to carry it out. And they say because, but Killian finishes that it's because if anyone connects him to the murder, it will be assumed that it was a criminal killing and not a political killing. Sam Neill protests that that isn't why. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, like, what, what you gain from anyway. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, that he says that he will see to it that no connection is ever made. Not only that, Killian will have immunity after the fact. Complete immunity for killing this person. Which we already know is a lie. Yeah. Because, and I kind of, I do question a bit the storytelling here from Steve Knight. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I just can't decide if it's dramatic irony or if it's just lazy. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um well, yeah, I mean, because it'd be interesting if we were as surprised as Killian was to see these IRA exactly. people Exactly, and I think that would have been a stronger and more interesting choice. Yeah. Um, well, and I don't know that, you know, what's come before doesn't necessarily tell us that he's working with these specific people. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, well, but he, no, because he was telling Winston Churchill that, like, like right right right. yeah yeah. so we did okay yeah yeah it would have been a little bit more interesting but then i guess he wouldn't have gotten that great scene about the export license right so yeah Yeah. anyway potato potato yeah yeah uh but killian will get no help in the execution from agents of the crown and irene adds that her people can't be seen to be involved either sam neal says that killian's been chosen and that there really is no choice Donald helpfully chimes in to say that Killian will be shot if he refuses, and Sam Neill won't cry for him as he looks the other way. Killian says that regardless, the answer is no, throws the file down, and leaves the room. He's a really skilled negotiator. He is, He's really good at it. Yeah. Sam Neill goes after him and is like, what about your export license? And Killian's like, ding! (laughs) (laughs) But Killian informs Sam Neill that Donnell is a spy for the anti-treaty side. See, I want, like, this wasn't gen, you're like, yeah. what, what, what? Yeah. I would have loved for that to be my reaction to everything else in this scene. Yeah. I yeah. really, and I mean, and you can keep most of the scene as it is, but it's just yeah. like, this would have been such a mind fuck mm-hmm. had it not been telegraphed. Like, I mean, I realize if you have Sam Neill, you're going to use Sam Neill. Sure. But it might have been more interesting to keep his appearances much more circumscribed and not um, not telling his side of the story as much, mm-hmm. you know? Although, yeah. again, then we would miss, you know, great scenes of Winston Churchill sketching a naked lady <laughs> right. and Sam Neill being very upset by it. So. Yeah, which, you know, could perhaps have just been done more mysteriously. But anyway, here we are. Um, yeah, because Sam Neill's like, oh, I, he's had, I've had my security people vet Donald or whatever, but Killian says that I've got people that can go places your people can't, uh-huh. and says that he meets with them like in the specific bar at the specific yeah, time. Yeah, like the Winded Sprinter or something. <laughs> right. I think that was it. Yeah, that's an Irish bar, the Winded Sprinter. <laughs> that's true. They're, our people aren't great at the athletics. Ah, no. That's Scottish. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I think We're, I actually have a little Scotch in me. Oh, yeah. A little Scotch, a little French. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. I'm classy. You're all kind of white. Mm, I know. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> Killian says that if Sam Neill can bring him proof that the spy is dead, then they will have a deal. Camden Town. <laughs> Night. Arthur approaches. Camden Town. Only partly on fire. <laughs> it's like Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> We hate Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Beachy Jobs. Uh, Arthur approaches Billy Kitchen. Is it Billy Kitchen or Billy Kitchens? Uh, I think it's Kitchen. Okay. 
Billy Kitchen and he then pays off this random cop. Yeah. Uh, then Billy, Arthur, and a bunch of quote unquote bakers enter a club with all sorts of 1920s genderqueers. Yeah. This was really exciting. <laughs> uh, I always get really excited when there are like, you know. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about it though and I was like, when was the last time? Oh, I guess the 70s. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was easier to be gender fluid in the 20s than it was in the 70s. Maybe true. Like, I despite, mean, in, you know, in urban yeah, settings and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, of course, not yeah. in the country. Yeah. Um, they just blow you up like a well on the village green. <laughs> right. Um, no, but I mean, there's a lot of, you know, m- very ambiguous looking people. And mm-hmm. this is the first time that I have understood what flapper culture was and why it was so scary to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, bizarrely, in all the things that we've done in this time period, mm-hmm. nobody has dealt with this. Yeah. Like, you get this sort of vague, you know, like, oh, Rose on Downton Abbey is a flapper. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't really a flapper. No. Um, well, again, like, she was more before we met her. She was, but, I mean, she was not particularly... Um, you know, she didn't seem like she was doing, you know, she wasn't really bobbing her hair. Mm-hmm. She wasn't wearing yeah, super androgynous clothing. The make, she wasn't wearing yeah. much makeup. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I, you know, she was doing the bougie appropriation of flapperdom. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, I was really, I was really surprised. And, um, we do find out this is Sabini's club, the mm-hmm. Eden club yeah. that we've been in before where we saw, you know, two men making out and people right. doing cocaine off of things yeah. out in the open. Well, and it's the whole, again, it's the whole, you know, reaction to World War One thing, mm-hmm. um, that, that we haven't seen much in other places. Not that, you know, we've seen, we've seen a few times the post traumatic stress of World War One a bit. Yeah. But we've never seen this. The cultural. Yeah. This, that you know would be. To me, fuck all your rules. Uh, you know, you just got everybody killed. I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah, we haven't really seen the bright young things. Yeah. Like, there's all these things that nobody talks about because they think we all want to see about wars so much. Mm-hmm. But maybe if we had more pop culture that focused more on the effects of war than the wars themselves, mm-hmm. we'd stop having so fucking many of them. <laughs> it's possible, but you know. No, and I think, I mean, there's probably books I can read about this, but it seems to me the reaction against World War One would have been one of the most extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. well, because you know the the military industrial complex didn't exist yet, so we weren't to the same extent. For yeah, sure, yeah, we weren't inured to the idea of just perpetual yeah. Orwellian war. And it was the way we are now. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was. You know, it was a change in what war was. And then World War II was an even bigger, like, yeah. more insane change. But but the reaction to World War II was so different. Yeah. The reaction to World War II was, like, the opposite, where it was this retreat into domesticity mm-hmm. and the nuclear family versus rejecting everything about society. Yeah, that's true. Let's go back to grad school. <laughs> All right. JK. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll say this for this uh, uh, nightclub. They have failed to learn a lesson that I have learned from watching a lot of TV and movies over the years. If you're at a hot jazz club and you find yourself dancing in slow motion to dissonant music, like, look out. Yeah, get out of there. <laughs> at least go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. You're about to, like, at least get some blood on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so there's just a huge, brutal brawl that yeah. I'm not gonna bother detailing for you. Yeah, it's um, cool. If you like no, that, No, it's watch really, it. it's great. Yeah. This is one of the best fight scenes we've had. And this is Arthur acting 
as head of this brawl, essentially. Right, this right. is the first time we've ever seen him in a leadership position yeah. without Killian there kind of holding his hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, at any rate, he starts yelling for uh, Mario. Yeah. Mario is the Mater D who in the previous scene at Sabini's club had the shotgun. Right, right. Neglected to shoot Killian. <laughs> and clearly he is regretting this choice. Um, Mario tries to escape, but Arthur smashes a bottle on his head and then drags his face yeah. down the bar. And then he stabs him in the face a bunch of times. Yeah, a bunch of times. With a broken bottle. It's a bunch of stabbing. I, I, wow. Yeah. Like, I like to think of myself as a connoisseur of the old ultraviolence, <laughs> and this was a bit much. Yeah. Um, he then announces to the club, <laughs> did the band stop playing? They did. Okay. Yeah. Well, honestly, this is, you know. Yeah, there's. Good choice. Like, when the Mater D this gets was stabbed. Not a, this was not a person-to-person <laughs> conflict. This was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, he announces that due to his fucking razor and complaints from the neighbors about the terrible fucking music, the club is under new management by order of the Peaky Blinders, which is great. It is great. And then did he kill Mario? I don't know. I don't no, remember. I don't think I don't he think he, sur- I mean, yeah, I think one can only assume he did not survive those wounds. It's hard to say. Like, yeah. yikes. Um, I would also like to say, I bet Arthur's taste in music is awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was very much being all, you know, kids today. Yeah, I know. It's like, why can't we get some old music hall in this club? <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> That's what I assume music calls. <laughs> yeah, I think. Like. Yeah. Arthur's loving it. Oh my God. Um, yeah. It was crazy. It was. It was nuts. Yeah. So we cut to Arthur in a bathtub with two women. Uh, PJ Harvey's long snake moan. So you get the idea is playing in the background. And, uh, they snort some Tokyo off the edge of the bathtub and just generally fuck around. I have a lot of questions about people whose first choice is two women. Like, mm-hmm. well, because we saw that with him and then Killian had done that. Yeah, um, that's true. I forget. It. Wait, was it Polly's birthday? I forget whose party it was. No, it was, it was that. No, it was, well, it was the time when Polly hooked up with that. Uh, yeah, young so guy. that was not her birthday. Anyway, for whatever reason, sure. they were having the party. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, threesomes are very complicated. There's a lot of like emotions involved. And I know that they're gangsters and emotions don't enter <laughs> and they're probably prostitutes. Right. But like, or uh, you know, functionally prostitutes. I mean, I guess I'm just lazy. That just seems like a lot of work. After I've already like beaten the shit out of a, <laughs> a bunch of people, to then have to entertain two people and like figure out just I mean, just the logistics, I, you know, just the physics. I, I don't know what to tell you, Kelly. I know, honey. Look, this is just me not understanding men. I guess because <laughs> I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, then we cut to some guys shoveling coal, mm-hmm. uh, I guess in Birmingham, because it's more on fire than Camden Town. Right, hard to it say. Would, you know, I would say Camden Town and Beeham look enough alike that I kind if we're gonna like clarify where we're at, let's just have it go for the whole thing, well, you know? Yeah. Anyway. One of the guys falls backwards when he finds a dead man's face. Very conveniently uncovered. Like, I Yeah, just, he wasn't buried very deep in this coal. Right. And also just like one shovel full, like exactly yeah. uncovered his face. Like, come on. Uh, and we think it's 
Donald? We Donald? I mean, yeah, I mean it must be. Is it like be. Donald without a D? I think so. Okay. I, I've been pronouncing it that way. Anyway. Like Liza uh, with a Z, but like Right, the exactly. <laughs> and I was like so sad I don't know that song because I could have sung it. Well. Sorry, guys. I have failed you. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's inconclusive, but we think it's him. Because who else would it be? Yeah, that we would care about. Right. You know? Yeah. Anyway. In his office, we see Killian looking at the file for the guy he's supposed to kill. He sighs and touches his temples, and the cut on the right side of his face has reopened, and he looks at it in shock, Yeah, which I think is kind of like, you knew that was there, dude. Yeah. But I guess it's a whole blood on your hands metaphor sure. for something. So he closes the file, and he puts it back at his desk, and he walks over to the bar. There's a knock on the door, and it's Lizzie. I love Lizzie, yeah. guys. She is so great. She is. Um, and she's there with a guy who is inquiring about the position of accounts clerk. He comes in, and it's H&M. Hey. Hey, what a shock. Yeah. Killian informs him that the position has been filled, but Michael says not according to that morning's paper. He sits down across from Killian, and H&M says he was top of his class in mathematics, and he also took an accountancy course, which always, to me, sounds like arithmancy, which is a class at Hogwarts. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he said that Polly told him that Killian's had six different accounting clerks in the past six months because respectable men find out what Killian does, and then they leave. Yeah, and Killian's like, uh, I don't know if you read the full position, but it specifies no smug little shits need apply. <laughs> no respectable men. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, H&M points out he already knows what Killian does, and he doesn't care. And I'm like, I don't know, bougie little <laughs> foster child. Like, yeah. If you had been there when Arthur cut that guy to ribbons, like, I know you talk a big game about, like, blowing up wells. Sure, sure. But, like, stabbing a person in the in the face! Yeah. Repeatedly and, with a bottle! And let's add, too, you never actually blew up that well, did you? No. So. He didn't even burn down that pub. <laughs> That's right. Had to go get your uncles to do it for <laughs> you. Or your cousins. Whatever they are. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, he wants to help Killian become 80% legal in the next two to three years. And H&M says he wants to help Killian do the right thing and to be proud of his family. Which, sh- look, they're doing great. Yeah. Oh, have you heard of, you know, uh, what's his name? Billy, what's his face? <laughs> that they killed? What was his name? Kimber. Kimber. Yeah. There's too many Billies on this show. Well, Billy that's- Kitchen, Billy Kimber. That's bad naming it's conventions, just, it's but... There's too many Billies in Birmingham. It's not as bad as uh, Julian Fellows' inability to have new characters whose names don't begin with E. Well, that's true. No, I like that as a children's book. Too many Billies in Birmingham. <laughs> I would like... Too many Brummy Billies? Is that too much? <laughs> uh, anyway, Killian asks if Polly knows he's there. H&M says he's 18 on Friday and he can do as he pleases. Uh, Killian hands him the phone and tells him to call his mother and says, good luck. <laughs> and I'm like, which mother? Right. Have we just completely, like, what happened, presumably? She's just, you know, she's just standing, washing dishes, a wistful tear running down her cheek. That sounds like the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Betty for Dan is coming. <laughs> Hold on for another 30 years. <laughs> At the betting parlor, there's a knock at the door, and Esme is setting things up inside and says that they're not open for winnings it's yet. It's the Babadook! <laughs> uh, a woman yells from outside that she is there to see Thomas Shelby and that she has an appointment. Question. Esme's there, like, running the betting parlor, so I thought the point of her marrying John was to, like, keep an eye on the kids. 
are the kids still running around <laughs> with no shoes with the dogs? That is an excellent question because there's no evidence otherwise. Right? I mean, yeah. look, I'm basically fine with that. I'm just yeah. saying, Esme, like, what's your deal? You had one job. I have a really hard time dealing with Esme as a character name because it reminds me of Renesme <laughs> from Twilight. Also, there's all these, the, you know, Esme Carlisle, uh, who was half of Renesme's namesake. Sure. I don't know why I'm pointing all this out. Everyone who <laughs> listens to this podcast already knows about Twilight. Um, Surely. Anyway, but just like the name Esme. Surely I'm like, everybody listening to this Peaky Blinders podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I would say 15%. Oh, yeah, easily. We'll do a survey monkey. <laughs> um, anyway, because I love Esme, but I wish she had a different gypsy name. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but guess who it is, everybody? <gasps> it's the attractive bitch! It is. It uh, is. We're calling her that. We are. We are. We decided. Yeah. This week. It's uh, it's true and accurate. Also, her real name is May, and we already have a May on this podcast. It's Lady May. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So we don't have time for that. And an Esme. Like, <sighs> Too Many Mays. That's the sequel to yeah. Too Many Billies in Birmingham. Yeah. Too Many Mays in Maidenpool. <laughs> this is a great idea, actually. <laughs> yeah. Copyright us. <laughs> that should do it. So Attractive Bitch starts towards some door. And Esme cuts her off, telling her that Mr. Shelby has his proper meetings in his other office. I have to just interrupt you here. Okay. Okay. Esme... Your family has rich as balls. Quit dressing like a gypsy and brush your fucking hair every once in a while. She looks ridiculous. That's uh, that's how she dresses, Kelly. I don't accept that. It's her heritage. Look, Polly doesn't dress great, okay? True. She has her moments. But, like, Esme needs to get her shit together. Uh, like, I know she's not raising five kids or whatever. <laughs> but, like, just run a, run a comb through it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Look, man... If she, you know, if she dressed nicely, her gypsy grandmother would roll over in her gypsy grave. Although, you know what? Here's what I'm also going to say, because we were having this conversation earlier this week, and then I swear we'll get back to the attractive bitch. (laughs) Okay. But this is a show that does not care much about the male gaze, I would posit. For the most part, yeah. I mean, far less than it, you know, could if it wanted. Um, Well, you know, it's all very homoerotic. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, every gangster thing is. <laughs> yeah. IMO. But we were rewatching The Wire season three this week mm. and we were talking about the fact that like no woman on that show is what we would call quote unquote conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all thin. They all have lollipop head. Sure. But like they're not like they're not gorgeous mm-hmm. versus the men on that show who are hot. as <laughs> Oh, my God. They're so hot. Yeah. Um, And this show is similar. Mm-hmm. Like. Grace was not that cute. Nah. I mean, she was fine. She was fine. And uh, obviously, attractive bitch is attractive. Yeah. She's the most attractive woman who's been on this show. Yeah, yeah. But Polly's main selling point is not her attractiveness. Right. Um, but she's never presented as being a non-sexual person. Right, obviously. You know? Well, and I mean, also, attractive bitch, you know, she is... She's so high class that that's part of what's also, going on you know, there. I would say she's not, you know, she's she's got a very interesting look. Yeah, yeah. You know, she is very conventionally attractive. Yeah. But she is not like, you know, Jennifer Aniston or whatever. I don't who's yeah. who's the person now? I don't know. I don't either. I never did. Get off our lawn, <laughs> right. lustful teenage boys. Yeah. Well, and like that IRA lady just looks like, you know, like just hatred that's true <laughs> yeah which i mean some people are into but like i would say you know all three of the older shelby brothers are all really attractive all right i mean arthur is the least attractive one mm-hmm. but he still looks fine okay um terrible hat looked awful 
Yeah. He looked really bad. Yeah, he was... Sam Neill is, like, a moot point. Right. Like, what... I don't even know. Yeah. Um... Are there other people on this show? No, I mean, I think I think people in general, it's you know, they're not super attractive on this show. No, in general, with you know, except for Killian Murphy, yeah, because the obvious exception. He is. Oh, we found out on Twitter that gentian is not a slur. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we found it. It has to do with like flowers and petals of flowers. Oh, okay. So it's not at all racist. Excellent. So hey, gentian it up, everybody. <laughs> anyway, point being, this show does not do a ton to perpetuate unrealistic beauty standards for women yeah. and we are for that that is correct attractive bitch says that killian gave her that address and told her that it was a gambling den esme <laughs> <laughs> is just like what yeah she doesn't know how to handle that she doesn't understand the dance of the slumming <laughs> Attractive bitch told Killian that she's always wanted to see one, especially with all the scandal about them in the Telegraph. I appreciate how much she is very transparent about her slumming, though. Yeah. Like, she's not, she's not putting on any, she's like, I'm just genuinely curious. Right. And then immediately as she's saying that, she realizes, like, she hears herself saying that, and then is like, uh, now I feel like an idiot because I'm early and he's late. Uh, and I have no idea how to behave. And Esme just says, in a gambling den. And it's the best line reading yeah. I've ever had on this show. Yeah. Like, Esme's so great. I'd also like to point out that this scene also passes the Bechtel test here in a minute. That's, so yeah. I rescind all of my bitching about it not <laughs> passing it. All right. Most of my bitching. <laughs> yeah, just most of it is fine. Attractive bitch says she'll wait in the car. But Esme says if she opens up again, all the punters will want in. They're like flies. <laughs> Esme grabs a pile of books and walks around with some sort of purpose and asks what attractive bitch is to Killian. Attractive bitch says that she is to train his horse for Epsom, and that gets Esme's attention. She asks if attractive bitch knows horses. Attractive bitch says yes, and asks if Esme does as well. Esme says she was born riding and that she slept in a manger as a baby. Aw, like Jesus! That's right. Attractive bitch says she was born riding too. Uh, she... She slept in an equestrian-themed crib. <laughs> she had a, a racehorse mobile. <laughs> That's right. And they switched it out every year. One for Epsom, <laughs> one for Royal Ascot. Yeah. One for that one that, uh, you know, Billy Kimber was at. Cheltenham, I think. Cheltenham, yeah. yeah. You're always up on the horse racing. Well, I read all those Dick Francis books. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for your sacrifice. Although he was generally, he generally focused on the steeplechase jump racing, and these are mostly flat races mm -hmm. that we're talking Was he British? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I'm learning a lot about Dick Francis today. <laughs> yes, you are. Also, his wife was his researcher and did like a lot of the work for him, and he never gave her any credit until after she died. I know, and he couldn't write books anymore. That I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I give you full credit for, like, writing jokes and stuff. <laughs> and I, also doing this podcast with me. Right. Then Mumper blows into town. <laughs> says, <laughs> I love Mumper so much. <laughs> he, he says that there is a Riley sitting out front uh, that nobody is watching. Riley being a type of motor car. Esme calls out that attractive bitch is there about training Killian's horse. John gets uncomfortably close to attractive bitch and says that Killian has told them a lot about her. I really I think the thing I appreciate the most about the Shelbys is their complete rejection of personal space boundaries. <laughs> yeah. No, just John doesn't care about nothing. I think, honestly, if I had to do like a fuck, Mary kill with the Shelby brothers, we you know the three main ones, like Finn is too young yeah, yeah, yeah. to be involved in this game. 
Uh, I'd fuck Killian, marry John, kill Arthur. I think that's. I don't right. think I don't think there could be another. If you have a different answer, tweet at us. <laughs> sure, man. Um, no, but I mean, John. Look, he seems like he's a great lay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esme doesn't seem unhappy, right? And he's just chill. You he know, is. he likes to have a larf. Yeah. Attractive bitch asks where Killian is, and on cue, Killian rolls in and says that he'll show attractive bitch around. Uh, yeah, he tells her to be my guest, and she starts poking around under Esme's disapproving eye. Only until the feather dusters come in and start singing, Be our guest, be our guest, put our gambling to the test. (laughs) Uh, Killian points out Arthur and John's offices. Attractive bitch asks, what about the police? And Killian says, what about them? (laughs) Attractive bitch says that when she drove into Small Heath, she thought she'd be murdered. Which is a pretty like bougie thing to say it is yes i mean but maybe she would be i don't know what small heath gets up to yeah but it seems like a very like adventures in babysitting situation yes. <laughs> nobody fucks with the attractive bitch <laughs> that's right but she mentioned killian's name and it was like being escorted to see a king killian pauses and says you came here to get my girl right and attractive bitch says right so Killian walks the horse out of Charlie's stable, which I guess must be pretty close to the gambling den. Mm-hmm. I'm not clear on what the geography of the show yeah, is. Yeah, it would seem to be. Attractive bitch says that she looks good, considering that she hasn't been out on the gallops. And Killian boasts that Curly is the best horseman in England. And attractive bitch says she's got a man named Mickey who'd argue the point. Mm-hmm. I bet she does. <laughs> Curly says the horse is blessed, very blessed. And attractive bitch says it's because she's from the best stock. But Curly says no, he prefers a colored horse because mixed breeds are stronger. And Killian corrects not to win the derby. And Curly says he doesn't like horse racing because of the way the horses are beaten. And I am so team Curly. Yeah. Well, the other thing I like, too, is this is a great example of a show where Curly is clearly developmentally disabled in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they probably didn't even know what it was at the sure. time. But nobody ever treats him like he's not a full human being. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it's a real str- – like, they never even talk about it. Right. Right. It's clear from the performance that there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Curly is a valued member of the society. Yeah. And it's great. Everybody knows what he's capable of, mm-hmm. and they trust him to do that. No. And, I mean, look, he can sail a boat. Yeah. that's am- I couldn't sail a boat. <laughs> well, you could learn to sail on Lake Merritt. <sighs> look, I already have a lot going on. So. That's true. Curly hands the horse over to attractive bitch, and Killian explains uh, that Curly gets sad whenever a horse leaves because he hands him her over and just kind of leaves yeah. without saying anything. Yeah, and it's it's not super devastating on a show where somebody's been stabbed <laughs> in the face with a bottle, but it's right. just you know it's a great character moment for Curly. Yeah, yeah. Um, attractive bitch's box van is coming for the horse at midday. So Charlie says there's time to show her the garrison, show the spa and the tea rooms. (laughs) Attractive bitch says she'd like that. And here's what I love. Yeah. I love that literally Killian's entire close family network is like, he has got to get over that spittoon bitch. And then like, and this is like a wildly inappropriate relationship. It is indeed. For him to be having, but I don't know. Like maybe it's that they know he wants to be respectable. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they don't care about social mores or anything. Right. You know, they don't care about getting married. They don't care about illegitimate kids. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. they're just like, whatever. Yeah. And I mean, you know, yeah. she she's emanating a certain attitude. She is. Yeah. She's, you know, refusing to, you know, look too out of place or, you know, act no, too honestly, out of place. No, honestly, I have to say... You know, I haven't been in this kind of, you know, whenever you're kind of a fish out of water, but mm-hmm. like she's handling it the way that I always try to handle it, which mm-hmm. is like, 
I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on. I will do what you tell me to do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a couple notes on this scene. One, I believe the car would have been a Riley 11 just based on the production years. I tried to tell because we do see it, and I tried to look up, like, Google image search Riley 11, and there were a bunch of cars that looked different than what we saw, and also a bunch of pictures of 11-year-olds named Riley. So (laughs) that didn't really get me anywhere. Did you Uh, try Riley 11 car? Well, I I don't know. It was on my phone, and I was... Anyway... (laughs) These are the kind of rigorous research standards you can expect from a Kellyanne and Tom Schneider joint. That's right. I did try later. It didn't get me anywhere. Anyway. Well, you've been sick. I have been sick. We'll go with that. Um, And also, why did she arrange to come hours before the van was scheduled to come? Unclear. Uh, I assume she thought it would take a lot longer to look at the gambling debt. (laughs) I guess that's true. You know, they've been spending so much ink on it in the paper, she assumed it was huge. (laughs) So it's just like a room where people gamble. I see. Look, rich people always think poor people's lives are way more exciting than they actually are. Yeah. Like, really, the word den didn't seem to be involved. No. But anyway. Well, they just call it the betting parlor. Yeah. You know? It's true. Anyway. Killian shows her into the garrison and says that he's just had it done up because there was a fire. Uh, yeah, a fire. We'll go with that. They both seem to agree that it's garish, we think. It's very weird because it's like she has a reaction and he agrees with the reaction, but we're not sure what it means. Right. That may be like, maybe it's just this British thing that we're missing out on I don't know. It's like a, you know, I mean, but you know, it would make a certain amount of sense for her to be like, oh, this is very new money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Killian asks. This money's so new, I'm not sure it's not counterfeit. (laughs) Right. Killian asks her what she drinks. She says, oh, it's so early, but uh, gin. It's respectable now. Apparently, it's uh, it's gone through the uh, hipster ringer. <laughs> that's right, and you I'm know, sure it's still the scourge of the lower class. I'm sure it is too. But that's actually a cycle. Like it's it's back to being respectable. You know, now in the present day, mm-hmm. that's true. Which it wasn't when I was like in college. Oh, really? I mean, it would just be like everybody would be like, "Why would you drink gin?" You know. I mean, that's because they didn't have beautiful botanic, uh, you know, blends such as we have here <laughs> in Oakland from St. George Distillery. That's right. Who does not sponsor this podcast? But we would be very open to that. Yeah, we would be. In case anybody who works there is listening, they have our regular tours available. They do. It's great. Contact we love us it. for details, <laughs> or or you know them. Yeah, they have a website. <laughs> right. We've got a lot on our plates. I don't need to be, like, ferrying people to a website. <laughs> right. So, uh, Killian fills a glass nearly full of gin, and attractive bitch says, well, she was expecting to have it with something, and Killian asks, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, mixers were not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> not at the garrison. No. Uh, you know, why would they want something in their glass that wasn't going to get them drunk? Uh, well, I don't know. Pacing? Well, you know what? Never mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She requests tonic water, and he says, well, they have cordial. (laughs) (laughs) He brings it over, says there's not much room in the glass, and pops it off. Uh, He then pours himself a whiskey, as she she takes a sip, and it is awful, uh, by the way, of this gin and cordial. (laughs) It just, it sounds terrible. Yeah. Like, gin... Gin is something, again, I will not drink gin if it's not my preferred brand, St. George Distillery. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I have to have it with, you mm-hmm. know, I yeah. have to have a cocktail. Yeah. Like, I can't just be drinking gin. Agreed. Even with just tonic water. Like, that's a lot to handle mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Gin is a very powerful, potent liquor. It is indeed. 
So, uh, then Killian just casually says, do you want to fuck me, Mrs. Carlton? And I lost my damn mind. Kelly screamed out loud. I screamed out loud. (laughs) I... It's like if the graduate wasn't stupid. Like, it was amazing. This is... Everything between these two is amazing. Like, everything that... I don't know. I can't even say that I wish the relationship between him and Grace was like this mm-hmm. because as much shit as we give Grace, that was an interesting relationship. I understand. Yeah. You know, from a storytelling perspective, it was very interesting. But this is like two super hot brunettes who are like, uh, what's up? Yeah. And I mean, you know, and they, there's, they well, there's just this, this, you know, sexual like energy yeah. in this. So there just wasn't at all with Grace. No. Well, because Grace was the equivalent of a mop person. She was. And again, she was a very, uh, you know, plot wise, interesting mop. Right. Right. She was a mop with a dream. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was a song in her handle and a dream <laughs> in her mop. Yeah. What do you, the head? I guess that would be the head of the mop. I don't know. Any mop manufacturers listening? Or just mop enthusiasts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Again, we're on Twitter, at FamilyMeetingPB. <laughs> Email us up yours downstairs at gmail.com. Mop collectors, Incidentally, perhaps? in the non-Downton Abbey months, like our correspondence slows to a trickle. That's true. So uh, we're, we're hungry. We are. We're, we're, we're thirsty. I was going to say thirsty is the thing. Yeah. Thirsty is what we say now. That's, yeah. We... You know, I may be in my 30s, but I still hear things, everybody. Yeah, kids occasionally walk by our house <laughs> yelling things at each other. That's how I learned the word douchebag. Way back when that was a thing. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. I've never wanted to smoke. Like, we quit smoking. Right. But, like, I haven't wanted to smoke as much as I have during this <laughs> scene. This is just... This is every fantasy and dream that young Kelly had before you came along and ruined my life. You're welcome. I know. You're great. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy you. <laughs> we got some good smoking and eye-fucking in before we quit. That's true. We did. <laughs> Killian asks if he represents something to attractive bitch as he lights a cigarette. And he says that they should have this conversation before the booze starts talking for them. Attractive bitch is like, A, I wasn't going to drink. B, (laughs) (laughs) she says that she is there to train his horse and that's it. Which is obviously a lie. Yeah. But sometimes you need to lie. Oh, sure. To have sex. Yeah. Which really complicates the conversation around consent. But we don't have time to get into that right now. He loves the way she lies. Speaking of complicated issues of consent, Killian says good, and they drink a toast. Uh, Attractive Pitch wants to know if that's what he says to women, and he says that's what he says when they don't know what they want. Attractive Pitch wants to know what happens if women don't want to fuck, and he says it's simpler. She asks if he wants a simple life, and Killian asks if he looks like a man who wants a simple life. Be still my beating vagina. So she asks what he does want, and he says for what he's paying her, he wants a horse that'll pay out on an each-way bet, which I'm not an expert. I think that means a horse that'll finish top three. Okay. Attractive bitch lights a cigarette and says that before she took the account, she did some credit checks on him, and apparently, he doesn't exist. (laughs) Killian admits that his existence is questionable. Guys, this is like, this is like bogey and Bacall levels of, like, innuendos. Like, it's just... It's delicious. It's so amazing. And I love this episode so much. Yeah. 
It's great. I'm just fangirling out over this episode. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to have any critical analysis available <laughs> for the rest of it because I've exploded. <laughs> Tractive Bitch points out that gypsies don't like registers, but Killian stops her and says that he's not a gypsy the way she means. She yeah. says, not like Esme. I comb my hair every <laughs> fortnight. That's, a, that's what I'm saying, though. John and Arthur and Killian all look very put together. True. You know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, th- their mom was, you know, a diddy coy whore. That's what So I've presumably <laughs> taught them some fucking, you know, methods of self-keep. Yeah. She says that he did register for France. She checked the war office. She knows some people there. I bet she does. Yeah. Uh, she mentions his two medals for gallantry, and Killian wants to know if that impresses her. Uh, he says, does that impress you, Mrs. Carlton? She says, call me May. <gasps> uh, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not. We're going to keep calling her attractive bitch. We already uh, Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> so the door opens, and Finn blunders in. <laughs> Finn. Yeah. He's like a walking punchline. <laughs> he is. Whenever Finn shows up, you're like, waka waka. <laughs> Charlie sent him to say that the box van has arrived. Attractive bitch wants to know what the horse will be called. And Killian ponders for a second and then says it will be called Grace's Secret. In what may be fiction's all-time greatest neg. Yeah. Like, this far exceeds Mr. Rochester going blind. <laughs> like, this is... Wow. Like, if yeah. a guy said that to me, I would be like, oh, it's on. <laughs> I'm going to get this D. Yeah. Yeah. And find out Grace's secret I mean, and not, destroy it. Not specifically Grace's secret. Well. Like, I assume it would be a different scenario. But Well, right. I, I mean, know. obviously. Yeah. The, like, what's yeah. your Tumblr called? <laughs> you know, Molly's HPV. <laughs> uh, although that's not really very mysterious at all. No, it's, it's, pretty, it's, yeah. it's pretty clear what happened there. No, something about, you know, heartbreak and a woman's name or something. Yeah. Missing Molly? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. look, point being, if I was in this situation, and I have to hand it to attractive bitch, she keeps her shit together the whole time. She does. She never betrays anything. No. And she is just, she's she is like Killian in a yeah. way that Grace was not. Like, I think Grace thought she was like Killian, and I think right. Killian, more importantly, thought Grace was uh, like him. Uh-huh. But Grace, A, had ulterior motives, and B, was kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know attractive bitch is like i've got my own shit that i'm not telling you anything about by the way Mm -hmm. she doesn't say anything no she reveals nothing about herself no and i just you know this is this is going to be a fun uh a fun (laughs) tete-a-tete to watch Mm -hmm. so we cut to the street and it's nighttime inside polly's house i guess i'm never clear on what the living arrangements are yeah for the shelby's like where is arthur where is killian I, we know Mumper has his own house. Right. But it's just, you know, are they yeah. all three living in the same house? I don't know. Um. Anyway, Polly says that no way is H&M going to go work for Killian. H&M told her that, he, fine, he would move to London and get a job there. Uh, but Paul basically told him she doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. And Killian says that, fine, you know, he'll give the job to the other better qualified candidate. Neg bonus unlocked. <laughs> yeah. He's like, negging all over the place. He is. And Polly, like, like completely falls for it. She No, she gets she gets all Twitter-pated. Yeah. And uh, Killian says that H&M doesn't know racing like this other boy. And uh, Paul wants to know what will happen if H&M leaves and Killian sure he'll write and visit. And Paul says that, you know, H&M gave her a whole speech mm-hmm. 
and he can make her cry just like his dad. Well, he also says that H&M will write and he'll visit, you know, every few weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, unless he meets a girl, then right. who knows? This is so upsetting to me yeah. on so many levels. <laughs> anyway, uh, Paul at this point catches wise to Killian's scam. Yeah. And Killian does admit there was no other candidate. Mm-hmm. Paul asks how much he's paying and she negotiates him up to four bob a week. Mm-hmm. And Paul says that she loves H&M. And Killian promises to keep him away from the old business. And I'm sure that's going to work out great. Oh, yeah. Since their jaunt to the horse <laughs> auction went off without a hitch. Because the whole thing about the old business is how easily it stays within defined boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which we can also see in The Wire Season 3. <laughs> yes, that's true. We're just going to keep... We're also not... Uh, we're not sponsored by HBO. Although, again, we would not be opposed to this. Yeah. We're, uh, the, the phone lines are open. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, to us. I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> right. I was like, I don't want people calling me, Tom. <laughs> Unless they're offering to sponsor the show. Yeah. Fun fact about me. I hate it when people call me, and then if I find out it's a butt dial, I get even madder. <laughs> At the garrison, Mumper tells Finn that he has two choices, mild or mild. <laughs> oh. <laughs> These are the jokes. <laughs> Finn chooses mild as Arthur and Esme look on in amusement. H&M and Paul come in and everybody cheers because it's his birthday. It's your birthday. <laughs> Arthur says that Michael's a man now and gives him a drink. He says that later they'll go find him a lady of the night. Ugh. Paul is dismayed and they're all like, uh, Paul, we didn't really ask your opinion. <sighs> also, Michael doesn't seem like he'd go for that. Yeah, you're probably right. Like at this point. I, you know. I forget if he gets more corrupt or not, but like he just ew. yeah, like don't give the lad herpes. <laughs> He's got a fighting chance. <laughs> Killian gives H and M a watch and says that it's so he's never late for work. So this is how he found out he got the job. Hey, uh, everybody welcomes him to the business, and uh, Killian says they can't get him blasted because he has work the next day, and they all toast to H and M. To H and M. Killian walks through the rain and enters a house. Uh, again, not clear which house. But he's there when Paul, Mumper, and Arthur come in. Killian pours them a drink and tells them to taste it. And Arthur says it's good. Too good for the garrison. They might be able to unload it on the toffs at the Eden Club. <laughs> How did they rebuild that business, I, by the way? I, I think that that just happens at all the nightclubs uh, from time to time. I guess as long as no civilians get hurt. Yeah. Anyway, Killian says it's part of a warehouse drive from their export license, and they will be smuggling liquor to America and Canada when they have prohibition. No, it is because we've had several emails and uh, Mm -hmm. other, you know, tweets and things on Facebook wondering if there's a prohibition connection. And here it is. Here it is. Here we go. Yeah, and I looked at uh, Canada had prohibition uh, nationally just from 1918 to 1920, uh, but depending on the province, it was various levels. They specify that they're sending it to Nova Scotia, which had prohibition until 1930, uh, and Prince Edward Island had it all the way up to 1948. I blame Anne of Green Gables. Well, as well you should. Well, Marilla and everybody was very against that current wine. Right. Well, Well, Marilla was not. Sorry. Rachel uh, Lind. Wasn't wasn't there that whole cordial incident? That's what I'm saying. They thought it was cordial, but it was actually current wine. And then, hence, prohibition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, guys, we're gonna do Anne of Green Gables the sequel at some point. <laughs> we don't know when. It's hard to find. Right. Uh, 
but I got real excited about watching it. She did. I was there. Oh, he was. They also specified that the, the legit things that they're exporting are Riley car parts, which I'm like, <gasps> did Riley sponsor this episode? They may, uh, we're also not <laughs> sponsored by Riley, but again, we are open to that. Yeah. They, uh, they haven't existed for 50 years, hey, but don't let that stop them. No, maybe they're making a comeback. They might be. It could be a whole hipster don't car situation. Don't call it a comeback. Like- They've been here for years. <laughs> Killian explains that their crates will not be searched uh, as they leave the Poplar docks because they have the approval of Churchill. And clearly, Churchill would not give an export license to a bunch of petty criminals. (laughs) Right. Killian says that all of the crates will be packed at the docks so that H&M won't have to be involved in the duplicitous aspect of the job. Again, given how this kid has wormed his way into this family, I... He's going to be in a crate. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Very like possibly, he's, yeah. he's going to be smuggled to Nova Scotia. <laughs> Camden Town. Awesome guys are moving crates, and one of them is giving Killian a hard time for not being married. And it's Johnny Dog. Hey. He's back. He like is. Like a bad penny. <laughs> uh, and Killian gives Johnny a little talk. He says uh, he likes the work he's doing, and he's not the sort of guy that would uh, pay too much attention to the numbers. If 25 crates became 24, no problem. And Johnny's like, oh, haha, you noticed that. And Killian's like, yes, but if 24 ever became 23, dot, dot, dot. No, he says that would be tax. Ah. And we don't pay tax. <laughs> it is, ah, man, it, this show is so great. Yeah, it is. Uh, Billy Kitchen says that they have put bars on the window of like their dock Warehouse. office. It, yeah. it says Shelby Brothers, uh, I can't remember what it says. It's not Shelby, it's not Shelby Brothers Limited. It's like Shelby Brothers Exports or something yeah. like that. Anyway, uh, Billy wants to know what they're keeping inside and Killian says, temptation. Ooh. <laughs> a new fragrance from Calvin Klein. A new fragrance from Killian Murphy. <laughs> it's just how his armpit smells. <laughs> we then cut to Arthur's coke-fueled sex mania with a <laughs> prostitute, now with even more PJ Harvey's long snake moan. <laughs> yeah. A door opens and Killian comes in as Arthur draws a gun. Killian says, good morning, Arthur. I was just passing. <laughs> and yeah. it's great. Yeah. Like... It's a good, it's a good time. Yeah. Arthur, uh, comes into the area where Killian's sitting. This is, I guess, at the Eden Club or one of their properties in London. Yeah. Arthur comes in and he says he thinks he's in love <laughs> and he gets a whiskey. Killian does not have one saying he has a long drive ahead of him. And Arthur asks if he's heading home and Killian says yes, eventually. Killian's going through their records and he asks after there's a line item for olives. And Arthur explains about cocktail olives and onions. Yeah. Uh, and Killian asks why they've taken on 600 pounds in olives. Now, I'm not sure if that means 600 pounds in money or 600 pounds of olives. Right. But either way, yeah. Arthur's a terrible liar. He's like, well, with the little bits of onion. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, Killian reminds Arthur that they do not sell cocaine. Uh, because it draws too much attention to their other illegal activities. Mm-hmm. And he reminds Arthur that he put Arthur in London because people are scared of him. So he is the mad dog that Paul yes. accused him of being. Right. Uh, but if his coke problem is out of control, it'll be Mumper's turn in London. Which yes. those kids don't need to go to London. <laughs> no. Uh, Arthur then says, oh, it's in control as he drinks his whiskey. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, But look, Killian's very much... Mm-hmm. If Arthur says it's not a problem, he's going to let it go right. until it becomes a problem, which right. I'm not sure is the best management style. But yeah. at any rate, uh, 
Killian then changes the subject and is more lighthearted about their profits and just how they're making money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. And then Killian leaves and barks, straighten up, soldier. And Arthur says, yes, Sergeant Major. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever remember. Killian's rank was. And I, I don't think Arthur's going to straighten up, guys. That's probably true. I don't feel good about it. Then we see Killian parking his car in a very nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He checks his watch. And then he checks his secret file, which is the guy he's going to kill. And we can't see his name. Yeah. Uh... We could if we had one of those things where we could be like, VCR, <laughs> zoom in on Killian's file. Uh, but then a cop comes up and tells him to clear out. And it turns out Killian was tiny interaction. It took 23 seconds for the cop to come and tell him to get on out of there. Mm-hmm. Killian was like, I'm lost. And the cop was like, well, go be lost somewhere else. Yeah. So I guess it's going to be harder to kill this guy uh, than Killian may have hoped. <laughs> right. At. At Ada's place, some rando goes to answer the door, yelling to Ada that it's going to be Andrew for him, uh, but it is not. It is Killian, saying that he's looking for Ada. Killian goes into a room that is now nicely furnished. Uh, you know, we saw it before when it was she had just moved in. And Does she get an allowance from them or something? I mean, one has to assume, because... I don't know what... Where'd she get her money from? <laughs> it's driving us mad! Yeah. Uh, Ada's there chilling in her PJs. Does Bohemian just mean hanging out in your PJs all day? I assume so. Oh, great. We're doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's always been my We're plan. We're soups Bohemian. <laughs> Rando says that he asked Killian a question, uh, which I guess he did, like, who he is or whatever. But <laughs> Ada says that it's fine. It's her brother. Killian tells Ada that she gets up late these days, and she says she goes to bed late. And she's much more confident in this scene. Like, she used to have just false bravado, uh-huh. but now she seems really, like, comfortable yeah. in her, like, place. Killian asks where Carl is, uh, which is a great question, and Ada doesn't answer. Um, did she sell him to Russia? <laughs> is that where she got her money? <sighs> Good point. Now. Did she have to show them a picture of Terrible Hat first? Because if that was the case, nobody would buy that baby. Well, that's probably true. Maybe like, does he come with a hat? (laughs) No, no, I swear it. I burned it. I burned them all. (laughs) Uh, She says that Rando rents a room, except she doesn't charge rent because he is a broke writer. Uh, But don't worry, Killian doesn't need to worry about them banging because the Rando is gay. (laughs) gay people and rando's like hey whoa 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 uh, I mean, yeah because he could be killed <laughs> right uh and he's also named james apparently uh but ada seems to think we're that, gonna stick with rando yeah uh we don't expect to see him again we could be wrong i don't know killian introduces himself and asks for a minute with ada uh, ada says rando doesn't know that she's a shelby and uh that oh also killian's brummy boys are all over the papers uh, apparently these days, no London society party is complete without a gangster for the girls to go giddy for. That seems dangerous and annoying. It does, but plausible. Let's invite a gangster to our next party. Uh, I'd rather not. Okay. Well, it's not the same these days. That's true. Yeah. Sorry. Nobody goes giddy anymore. <laughs> this isn't like, you know, less than zero or whatever. Ada asks what Killian wants, and Killian says that he has no children, so he set up trust funds for Mumper's kids and for Carl. He needs Ada's signature in order to transfer the money upon his death. 
Ada asks if he's sick, but he says he's just putting his affairs in order like any ordinary man. And just an FYI to ordinary men out there, my uncle just passed away and he did not have his affairs in order. Yeah. Um, you should do that. Yeah. Like we should probably have like a living will or something. I suppose we should. Yeah. Anyway, look, yeah. just a public service announcement. Yeah. It's a nightmare if you die and like things aren't settled. Yeah. So, you know, do your surviving relatives a favor. Yes. And also RIP Uncle Mike. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to Alfie Solomons and his bakery. Woo! They open a door revealing Sabini and his mobile hospitality crew. Uh, <laughs> they go through some cheek kissy business and bread and salt are exchanged. Right, they right. go through the whole Game of Thrones business. <laughs> and so they're seated at a table negotiating and Sabini wants to know if Solomons knew that the blinders were going to take the eating club. And Solomon says some gibberish <laughs> and I love him and I couldn't possibly explain this to you what he says. He's like, well, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm like, I don't know what this means, but you're great. The Donald Rumsfeld of cocky London. <laughs> Sabini wants to know if Solomon's new, the blinders were planning to take Wimbledon dogs, Herring Jay and the trotting tracks, which all sound horrible. <laughs> But lucrative, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, Solomon's wants them to talk. He wants to hear what they have to say. There's more gobbledygook sure. on his part. And I'm like, I can kind of see why they were at war. <laughs> it makes it really, really difficult to have a civil conversation. Um, Sabini's lieutenant says that Solomon's has lost control. And then they get into an argument about political correctness, which is great. And yeah. I want to say, because, like, right, you know, there's a lot of talk in, like, the comedy community right now about, mm-hmm. like, political correctness and is political correctness ruining things Mm -hmm. but all political correctness is is oppressed groups negotiating for being treated like human beings right so next time you say political correctness think about that Mm -hmm. um anyway but it turns out sabini has made some very off-color jokes and comments about jewish people and solomon's uh did not take too kind to that indeed as he should not have to yeah anyway um so he's upset about, you know, these these disrespectful things that Sabini's been saying, but he's also pissed because none of his bookies were allowed to work at Epsom last May. Mm-hmm. And then Sabini just like blows his top about this As he is predictably. To do. And the Solomon's just like plays dumb. Yeah. He's like, what? <laughs> That's yeah. my impression of Solomon's for the duration of this. It's my, it's my audio rebus of Solomon's. So Sabini apologizes for denigrating Jews and Solomon's wants that in writing. He gets his accountant to do it. Yeah. Who doesn't, he's not as cute as, uh, Billy Kimber's. Right. But he's like the same flavor. Yeah. Um, he also wants in writing that his bookies have permission to go back to Epsom. Sabini reminds Solomon's that they've been fighting since school, but they've also been friends. And isn't it better when they're friends? And they kind of like, they go through like what they should write down and what they should not. And yeah. there's a lot of back and forth about moving the, the border, border between yeah. the Italians and the Jews to, uh, Farringham Road. And there's another road. We didn't write this down. Sure. Uh, which is a mistake Solomon's is not making. No. Uh, anyway, but they, they, eventually Solomon's just says, write peace. Yeah. Between the Jews and the Italians and war against the fucking gypsies. And this is exciting. Yeah. Um, 
I haven't super enjoyed all the time that we spent with Sabini, but I have enjoyed every second of Solon's. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how this, you know, well, this you were saying alliance you were watching is going to work. You liked Sabini better in this scene than you had well, previously. Well, when they actually let Sabini work with somebody who's up in Noah Taylor's you know, weight class, mm-hmm. then it becomes much more interesting. Yeah. When he's just whining yeah. to his lesser lieutenants, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. Mm-hmm. But when he's allowed to spar with Killian or he's allowed to spar with Tom Hardy, yeah. then you're like, oh, this is why Noah Taylor is that guy who's in everything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But when he's by himself, it's just not compelling. He yeah. needs to be working in opposition to something. No. So cut to Killian smoking in his car. I really miss smoking and driving. <laughs> this show really made me miss smoking and driving. And I haven't done that in longer than I've quit smoking. Yeah, that's been you know? years and years. It's been years and years since we've done that. But yeah. man, look, Peaky Blinders is really making me want to smoke, guys. And I'm I'm not part so of any kind of anonymous group. So I'm just Let's letting, try and just get through this all right, episode. All right, let's just then. do this. <laughs> Uh, so he drives up to a very posh estate. Ooh, attractive bitch gonna get fucked. Yeah, and by posh, I mean, this place makes Downton Abbey look like a pile of shit. Yeah. Like, this is This gigantic. place is so huge. Yeah. Like, why would anybody need a house this big? This, it looked like if you took Downton Abbey and then you put a Downton Abbey on either side of Downton Abbey, that's how big this place is. I would say two Downton Abbeys on either side. Possibly. Yeah. Like, it's It ridiculous. might be, like, narrower. Yeah. But, like, it is enormous. Yeah. Uh, so a door opens and a maid shows Killian into a very lavish parlor. Like, it makes the library at Downton Abbey look stupid. Yeah, and it's like a hundred yards long. Like, if Mr. Bricker had showed up here, his life would have been a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Killian just says, nice house. <laughs> ah! Negs! <laughs> All the negs. Attractive bitch asks Killian if he would like scotch or Irish whiskey. Because she is simple. <laughs> so Killian humors her and confirms Irish. He apologizes for the short notice and says he was passing. She says that she's 60 miles from the Birmingham Road. She says that she checked. <laughs> uh, he says it was a small diversion. She says the horse is still out on the gallops, but she's had Mickey prepare a report. And they can review it and then go see the horse. Uh, she then remarks that it's getting quite late. I love it when bitches are about to get <laughs> fucked. This is so exciting, everybody. <laughs> Mickey says that the horse has the lungs of an elephant uh, and that he favors soft ground. Which I get apparently is good for Epsom. Killian asks if the horse is good enough for Epsom. Uh, she says that the horse needs a lot of work and will have to, you know, take a lot of convincing of the Epsom race board or whatever. But Killian imagines that she has some influence there. Mm-hmm, on his dick. <laughs> she acknowledges. She notices his glass is empty, offers him something to eat. Uh, and he says that his car needs oil before he heads off to Birmingham. Look, there's no, there's literally no point in recapping the awesome way that they negotiate his staying overnight in the guest wing. She's a whole guest wing yeah. because it's fucking amazing. Just watch it. Again, I have no idea why you would listen to this podcast if you hadn't already seen this. But just watch it again. It's, it's so great. She starts to cry in it. Like, because, and she talks. Look, that's the female version of an egg. <laughs> yeah. She says that she put all her husband's photos in a locked drawer as if it would make a difference and that she's like a fucking lighthouse keeper and that when people see a lighthouse, they steer clear. Oh, my God. Look, it was like we would like we were like, we want to help you. <laughs> I just I can't like we can't even recap this. It's yeah. so good. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, point is, uh, it's it's on y'all. It's really on. And then. OK, but he also asks her. He asks her if she has a map. 
And she's like, a map. And he's like, of the house. Yeah. Cause he, he t- like, he very sexually is just like, I'm going to come to your room. I'm going to like get inside and nobody's going to hear me. She's like, maids will hear you. He's yeah. like, what? She's like, look, when there's a man in the house, they listen extra hard in shifts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's amazing. Cause he's like, yeah, well, who went with that map? Cause yeah. I'm at midnight. Yeah. We're going to do this. And mm-hmm. we're like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Back at the office, the legit office, right. the proper office, Yeah, Isaiah is giving H&M a hard time about not going out to have a drink on payday, and he utters the phrase, man, it's on fire out there, which would be my favorite thing in this episode, except see the preceding scene. Right. But like, ah, he just, he unironically says that Birmingham's on fire. Just, yeah. Mwah. That's great. Isaiah says, if you go- These days, we'd say it's lit. Indeed. Or turned up. <laughs> Again, kids going by our house. <laughs> Isaiah says they should go to the Marquis where all the BSA secretaries hang. Uh, but Isaiah then tells H&M that the Marquis won't serve a black man without a Shelby at his side. And H&M says, so you're using me. And for some reason, that seems to convince him much more than his own potential enjoyment. Well, yeah. Uh, so I guess he's a Virgo. <laughs> Uh, at the Marcus, Marquis, sorry, Britain, I have hard times sometimes with our languages. Uh, at the Marquis, H&M orders two dark milds because he is a pussy. Uh, but Isaiah says, fuck that, we're peaky boys. And I love Isaiah. I want Isaiah to be on this show a lot more. He has lots of fun. So the peaky boys, they get two whiskeys. H&M lights what is presumably his first cigarette and has a bit of a hard time with it. Isaiah says, you get used to it and then you can't stop. Yeah. Which so, is a very accurate summation. Don't ever start smoking. Yeah. Don't do it because you'll watch to, this show and you'll be like, I miss smoking and driving. And it's like, that is not a thing you should think. No, it's not. Anyway, uh, some rando comes up and he says he don't drink with blacks. And the bartender tells him to shut up. H&M tells the guy to leave, but then the Irish guy presses and calls Isaiah the N-word. Yeah. And there's a big fight, and the Irish guy goes after H&M until he tells him that that's Polly Shelby's son, and, you know, does he have a death wish, basically. Then the guy backs off and leaves, and I'm like, why did we not circumvent this whole fight by bringing this up before all of this happened? Yeah. Because that bartender could have easily been like, uh... This N-word is with Polly Shelby's son. Right. So calm your shit down. Yeah. So why that didn't happen, I don't know. Unclear. But then H&M and Isaiah get their drinks, and then they walk awesomely over to the garrison, which is packed. Yeah. So in there, in the snug, Arthur is trying to explain how good the pussy is in London. Uh, but Finn is there, and they want to protect his delicate... I appreciate their weirdly prudish attitude when it comes to the youngsters. Yeah. Uh, so H&M and Isaiah swagger in and explain what happened down at the Marquis. Uh, Arthur and Mumper then immediately stand up. Uh, Finn stands up as well, but they make him sit down. It's, and again, recapping doesn't do it justice because yeah. it's just, it's a really beautiful piece of blocking. Yeah. Uh, so they ask where Jeremiah is and Isaiah says that he's preaching. They head out and H&M asks where they're going. Isaiah says, well, the Marquis of Lorne, of course. Shame. It was a nice pub. Uh, waga waga. Yeah. PJ Harvey is this desire comes on. As uh, and yes, PJ Harvey, it is. It is. <laughs> this is one of the most desirous scenes we've ever seen. Yeah. 
uh, AB is pacing in her room and then Killian comes in and they immediately start making out. Then we have this intercup with Mumper and Arthur busting up the Marquis and burning it down, apparently with the proprietor inside. Yeah. That's not cool. We don't like that. No. If that's in fact the And case. it really wasn't the proprietor's fault. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Like, if you were going to burn down every pub in the 1920s that was racist, you would have to burn down every pub. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's worth mentioning in this intercut scene that the attractive bitch actually knows how to have sex. Indeed. So take that, Grace. Uh, here, here. Look, and it's it's some sexy sex. It's some very sexy basic ca- cable sex. It like, is. it's great. Yeah. Enjoy, everybody. Yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> Cut to H&M and Isaiah walking down the street past Arthur and Mumper. H&M says they didn't have to do that for him, but Arthur says they did it for the good of the company, and Isaiah says they should go get that drink. I mean, apart from these several drinks you've had at several bars already, but okay. Um, you know, whatever. It's payday. <laughs> Cut to Sam Neal sitting alone in a church, his natural <laughs> habitat. Womp womp. Killian walks in, and Sam Neal says that the date has been set. Killian has to kill his target in three weeks. Sam Neal says Killian has to deal with the coppers himself. He'll get no help from anybody else. Uh, but Killian says that he knows that Sam Neal's word is worthless, so he's been settling his affairs. Killian says that if he dies, he has told some men that Sam Neal will then die. Uh, then he leaves. And I wonder, like, is Sam Neal just keeping office hours for people to threaten his life? Like, what's he doing in there? I require this church every Tuesday. <laughs> Between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. <laughs> I realize that's technically Saturday. <laughs> Killian goes back to his office and pours a whiskey. He sits down at his desk, lights up a cigarette, and he looks at an envelope and opens it. He throws it down, and I, actually, I was thinking as he was uh, pouring this whiskey, he's thinking to himself, well, if I die, at least I banked a rich broad. Right? Yeah. And look, he's doing great. Yeah. Don't feel bad killing, and you're doing awesome. Agreed. Uh, so he throws the envelope down, picks up the telephone, and asks for the Ritz Hotel, London, Piccadilly. A posh phone rings, and a man picks it up, uh, and then uh, Killian hangs up, apparently, and Grace asks who that was. Grace! Yeah. Grace! <laughs> Grace! 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 <laughs> Mercifully, she does not sing. Indeed. Yeah, and her husband's clearly from the acting school of, I've got my American accent to keep me warm, Grace! Yeah, so this is apparently Mr. Banker. But y'all, Grace is back. Yeah, she is. Uh, I... I did not see this coming necessarily. No, you know, or see any reason for it. But no, uh, here but we she's are. back. Her she hair is. looks a lot better. No, there's that. Well, I'm not slumming anymore. You see, <laughs> now when I sing, it's in a private theater that my banker husband is paid for. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's back, and you know, this is certainly uh, an interesting development. Yeah, it is indeed. You know, because you know, Killian may have just banged the attractive bitch, but. Is he over Grace? Uh, Science point to no. He did name a horse after her. He also called her. Yeah. When he didn't have to. He sure didn't. And like, she's married. What's she doing bothering him? Agreed. Yeah. What is that about? I'm curious. Now, before we go. Yeah. We owe an apology. We do. We owe an apology. Uh, Earlier this week, we were flipping through the channels Mm -hmm. and Jurassic Park was on. Yeah. And as we all know starring sam neill right and, and as we also all know if you're flipping through the channels jurassic park is on you're gonna stop for at least a bit oh yeah at least a minute yeah just to see what's going on mm-hmm. you know and we just sam neill we're sorry we are we're sorry like we're not gonna I mean, stop no 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 but like we feel like we haven't adequately given you the respect you deserve right 
this podcast is not sponsored by Sam Neill, but again, <laughs> we are at, he has a he has a vineyard. We would be happy to promote your wine. Sure. Anyway. And drink them. Yeah. Oh yeah. We definitely <laughs> drink them. We're sorry. Uh we we have not really respected your considerable body of work, including Jurassic Park in the Mouth of Madness, NBC's Merlin miniseries. <laughs> uh <laughs> I didn't expect that third one. Uh nobody ever expects the Merlin miniseries. <laughs> anyway, you're a great actor. You are. You're a great actor. You, you are great uh, in this show as well. You're great in this show. It's we just, just a bizarre voice that you're it's doing. It's a bizarre voice and your character sucks. Yeah. And so we just we're sorry. You know, sorry, not sorry, but we just wanted to thank you for your contributions to world cinema. Yeah. And, and I guess leave it at that. All right. We, we meant to like prepare something, but then Tom got sick. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's the, the main point is you're great in Jurassic Park, great Mm -hmm. in this, fine actor. Yeah. Uh, it's just a silly voice. Anytime somebody's breeding raptors, I just think of you. So. All right. So uh, we're, we're on the back half of this series. That's right. We're two episodes away from the end. Yeah. So uh, it's it's going to be an exciting ride. Yeah. Now apparently, you know, the gypsies and Sabini, or, or sorry, the, the Jews and Sabini are ganging up. Like Grace how, is back. Yeah. Uh, Killian's got things coming at him from all sides. He does. Yeah. He's, he's uh, a man for all seasons, but will <laughs> he stand the test of time? We'll find out. Grace. 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 Grace.